You're listening to City Church. Good morning, church. Good morning. I hope that you're having a great morning. Um, God bless you. Thanks for being in church today. Happy August. want to particularly welcome our Bridgeport location. If you're new here, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here at City Church, and uh, we have a location in New Haven that meets at 9 and 11, and uh, this month we're actually meeting in the Long Wharf Theater in New Haven. We also have a location in Bridgeport that meets at 9 and 11 at the Bijou Theater, and then we're launching another location this October in Meriden, which we're really excited about. Are you excited about that? And uh, in Meriden, Connecticut, and just seeing God continue to advance uh, His truth and His love And we're in the middle of a series, third part in a series studying the book of Proverbs. So hopefully you've been kind of walking with us through that on our website at ourcitychurch.org. We're posting blog posts every single day, encouraging you to walk through the book of Proverbs, 31 chapters in 22 days. And uh, hopefully uh, it's been an encouragement to you. Hopefully you've started to develop the compound impact of meditating on Proverbs, which is the truth of God's wisdom. So are you excited to be at church today? specifically for our Bridgeport location. I love you. It was so good to be with you last week, and uh, God bless you, and I'm so excited to share what God's put on my heart today. And so um, just a real quick review of the last two weeks. If you remember, if you've been a part of City Church the last two weeks, um, a couple things we've hit here. We talked about how wisdom begins with a properly aligned heart. Do you remember that? Remember this idea that wisdom begins with a properly aligned heart. So in other words, we, the fear of the Lord, having to align our heart with the reality that God is God, that I am not God, I humble myself, I submit myself to God, that attitude of the heart produces the opportunity for wisdom to be cultivated in our life. And then we looked at this idea last week that God sees me. Tell somebody, God sees you. God sees you. Yeah, he sees us. And so realizing that God is in the room allows ethics to come alive, right? And we talked about this idea that all of the encouragements of Proverbs come alive when we realize that God is in the room. God is in the room. And so God sees me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This lays a foundation to massive ideas in the book of Proverbs that make all the other things that Proverbs talk about make sense. So um, those two kind of things, those two things kind of lay the foundation. And uh, now we see all through the book of Proverbs, the application of these truths. And so the writers of Proverbs again and again and again, apply this idea of the fear of the Lord and the reality that God sees us to all different aspects of life. And the thing I like about Proverbs so much is that it's super practical, isn't it? I mean, you read the book of Proverbs and it's like, man, this stuff applies directly to how I do life. And so it talks a lot about money. It talks a lot about uh, leadership. It talks a lot about how you use your words. It talks a lot about um, business practices. All these different things are covered in the book of Proverbs because these are the real things of life. These are the things that go on in our minds. But today, we're going to focus on the application of wisdom in the specific area of sexual temptation. All right, so you're already in this place, and maybe it's like, oh, it just got a little warmer in here. Yeah, sexual temptation. So you know, if you've been around City Church any length of time, we don't really dodge hot topics. And this issue of sexuality is one that the church needs to be consistently teaching on because it is a massive part of who we are as human beings. And so we've covered sexuality at many different times throughout our journey here for three years almost at City Church. 
And so uh, you can go back, review all those. We're not going to cover all the nuances of sexuality today. We are gearing up this fall for an extended series dealing specifically with this area of sexuality in human relationships and how that applies to our relationship with God. So buckle up for that. It's going to be wild. But uh, but today, I want to just look at how wisdom interacts with this truth of sexuality in the book of Proverbs. And so we're going to cover a number of the passages, but really focus in on one that deals with this issue of sexuality and how um, how the wisdom of Proverbs applies to temptation. Now, if you're listening today and maybe you're not battling with some type of sexual temptation, the reality is that this process that we're going to look at today in terms of how temptation happens really applies to every temptation to sin in our life. And so though we will be looking at it in the context of sexuality today, we're going to uh, really be able to apply this process to any temptation that you may battle with in your life. So are you ready today? Are you ready? We're going to start in Proverbs chapter 7 and verse 24. Now this passage in Proverbs 7 outlines a story and we're going to read the end of the story and then we're going to go back and read the beginning. So here we go. Proverbs chapter 7 verse 24. Follow along with me on the screen. Now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to my words, the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol. We looked at that word last week, this word death or the grave. Going down to the chambers of death. Her house, her, her way is the way to Sheol. The title of today's talk, if you'd like to take notes, is Proverbial Sex. Proverbial Sex. Uh, would you bow your head? Would you pray with me today as we dive into this topic? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of the gospel. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for what you're doing here at City Church. God, I know that this uh, sermon has direct application to every single one of our lives. So whether it be in sexual temptation or another temptation, God, people, every one of us were tempted to walk away from you and get distracted from the truth. I pray today in Jesus' name that you powerfully speak to each one of us. We welcome your presence right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Recently, I read a story about an individual named Romano Diaz. He's 55 years old, and his daughter Katie gave him a particular sports bottle with some type of fruity-based health drink in it. And so, you know, Romano didn't think much of it. He received the bottle from his daughter, who, of course, he loves and trusts. And uh, he took a drink of that bottle, drank about half of it. And shortly after he drank a drink from this sports bottle, uh, his throat started to burn. And then his body started to immediately feel different. And within literally a few short moments, he realized that something was happening to him that was not healthy at all. He turned to his girlfriend and he said, I'm in trouble here. And then he looked at her and he said, I'm, I'm dying. And then he said, I'm, I'm dead. And then in that moment, Mr. Diaz started shutting down. His heart started working overtime. His, uh, his liver uh, actually started shutting down. His kidneys went into failure. And within just a few minutes after drinking this drink from this sports bottle, his entire body started systematically shutting down organ by organ. And within a few moments, he had died. See, what, uh, what Romano Diaz didn't realize is that the bottle that he drank from was not a bottle full of some sports health energy drink. It was actually a bottle full of liquid crystal meth. 
and he had actually drank about $54,000 worth of this illegal drug, and the intensity and the amount of that drug had an immediate impact on his body and took his life unexpectedly. So we see this man literally drinking something, not even aware of its deadly uh, possibilities, and yet he takes it in, and within a few moments, life is stolen from him. Now, in the book of Proverbs, we see again and again and again that it describes sin in a very toxic way. It says that, you know, extreme or, uh, you know, uh, movement into sin can cause immediate toxic results. And in this area of sexuality, again and again and again, it's described as something that God has created as beautiful, but when it's taken out of the context of what it's supposed to do, massive intake of it or you know, distorted intake of it, it becomes a poison rather than a pleasure. One thing that uh, it's described as in the book of Proverbs is a fire, that sexual sin can become a fire in our life. And so, of course, a fire is good. It can warm us. It can cook our food. It can keep animals away if we're out in the wilderness. But also fire has the potential to burn down your house. And a fire has the potential to destroy a city. A fire has the potential to take your life or the lives of those that you love. And so what we see again and again in Proverbs is this warning that wisdom understands that even good things can be toxic if they're used wrongly. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but there's something called water intoxication or oxygen toxicity. And these are times where people take in too much water or they take in too much pure oxygen. And even good things like water and oxygen can poison a person and rob them of their life. And so what we see in Proverbs 25, this little passage we read, the the writer of Proverbs says, don't let your heart turn aside to her ways, right? Don't let your heart turn aside to her ways. So who is her? Right? Who is the her that, she, that this writer is referring to? Well, this is referred to again and again and again in the scripture, this her. And she is known as the strange woman or the loose woman or the seductress. And she's personified. This individual isn't a particular person. It is the personification of temptation, specifically sexual temptation. And so it's sexual temptation of your particular flavor that is outside of God's plan of intimacy between a man and a woman in marriage. And so God gives us this lane of one husband and one wife in marriage for a lifetime. And that's the lane described from Genesis. Genesis to Revelation. It's the place where we can find the greatest pleasure, the greatest joy, and sexual fulfillment. And yet, from that lane, there are a thousand different off-ramps that we can move towards. It's those off-ramps that are described in this passage as the her, as the seductress, as the one that would pull you aside. And so what the scripture's teaching, and this is a radical idea in our culture in the area of sexuality, because it's not a popular concept to think of God's way as the only way, but what this scripture is declaring and what the writer Solomon is warning is he's saying, listen to me. I know that, you know, the bottle that you have was given to you by somebody that you could trust. I know that the label says it's actually good for you. I know that it might look like it's something legitimate that you could take in. I know that these types of drinks are popular, but I'm telling you, listen to me, if you drink it, if you take this in, it's not what you think it is. And even though it seems pleasurable, and even though it seems beneficial, and even though it seems like everything is just right, and you should take it in, Poison often comes in an attractive bottle. 
I said, poison often comes in an attractive bottle and God created this beautiful joy of sexuality. And we did a series years ago called Good Sex right after we started the church where we talked about the beauty of sexuality and how it's a gift from God, not a curse, but when it's taken outside of God's plan, it becomes a toxic poison that has the potential to destroy your life. And though the bottle looks good, what's inside it will kill you. Say it out loud with me. Don't drink that. Don't drink that. Find somebody near you and tell them, don't drink that. Don't drink that. Don't drink that. So Proverbs consistently mentions three types of people, okay? And in fact, it gives us many different models for people. But the three most popular are uh, these three, the fool. Now, in the scripture, the fool is described as someone who ignores or rejects God's commands, who knows the commands of God, but just willingly rejects them. And so that's the fool. The fool is the one who just rejects the commands of God knowingly. But then you have the wise. We've been talking a lot about them. The wise are consistently discussed in Proverbs as the individual that uh, through practice and through humility apply the fear of the Lord to their life and live. And so they deny the things that might come natural to them to tap into the things that come supernaturally to them. And through those practices, they become wise. Okay, so there's the fool who ignores the plan of God. There's the wise who, uh, who applies the truths of God even when they don't feel natural to them. And then there's a third person that's spoken of frequently, the simple. Okay, And the simple are the ones who are unaware, who are not really intentional. Okay, It's not that they're stupid. So most of us read the simple and we go, oh, that's not me because I'm really smart. I do good in math. It's cool. No, no, that's not what this is about. The simple are those who are not intentional to apply the wisdom that maybe doesn't come naturally to them. The things that may even oppose or fight against their natural inclinations, those that don't think through these things. Those that don't consider these things, that are not aware of these things, those are the simple. So today, I want, to ask, want you to ask yourself, how am I operating in the area of temptation? Am I the fool that's in direct rebellion to what God says? Am I the wise who, by humility and by practice, am consistently submitting to myself to things that maybe don't even make sense to me, but I trust the will of God because I've jumped off like we talked about in the fear of the Lord talk? Or am I the simple, the one that's just not really even aware? And I would contend with you maybe that there are a number of us in the room today that would fall into that category of the simple, that we're just not aware of what God's trying to show us in this area of wisdom. So now let's go beyond the story and start all the way from the beginning here of this passage and see the story that's unpacked that leads to the advice that Solomon gave at the end. So today I'm going to show you seven steps. So you got to stay with me today. Seven steps into sexual compromise, okay? And what you're going to see here is that every temptation could be applied to these seven steps, but these seven steps outline a journey that, uh, that you know, our flesh, this world, the devil would try to lead us on to compromise sexually. And it's crucial that if you're going to gain wisdom in the area of sexuality that you see these steps. And so if you're here today and God's given you victory over sexual temptation and you're living a holy life, these steps are crucial for you to see because you must be used by God to lead others out of this bondage. And if you're here today and you're battling with sexual temptation like most human beings are because we're human and there's always a temptation to go beyond what God has said is God's way of doing things. And if that's where you find yourself and there's this little temptation here or there, then I want you to see yourself in this temptation and realize where you might be deceived. Here we go. 
Proverbs chapter 7, verse 6. We'll start there, all right? Proverbs chapter 7, verse 6. It says this, For at the window of my house I've looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple. So, of course, we're seeing someone who's considered simple. I have perceived among the youth a young man lacking sense. Verse 8, Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house. Now, we've already described who her is, right? Her is sexual temptation. Her is lust. Her is the plan of the world or the flesh or the devil that is outside of God's plan for sexual temptation. It's what's come natural. It's what comes easy. So that's what her is. So what's he doing? The scripture says there, if you notice that word, he's passing along. Now, the Amplified Bible says he's sauntering through, okay? I hear that word sauntering. I think of a cowboy, you know, kind of just like walking through, you know, the, uh, the town or whatever. But he's sauntering along. He's just strolling. He's on a leisurely walk. And so he's just kind of wandering. He's doing the same thing that David was doing, if you know the story in the scripture, where David was just kind of hanging out on the rooftop and he saw Bathsheba naked and ended up committing sexual sin with her. He's just kind of wandering. And here we find the first step in into sexual temptation. It's what I'm calling. You can write this down if you want. Number one, the unintentional path. Have you ever been on an unintentional path? Have you ever just kind of wandered in the area of sexuality, this unintentional path? You're not centered on God's truth. You're not focused. You're not spending time with God, but you're just kind of lingering. Maybe you're lingering at that bar. Just so I don't know. I'm just hanging out here. Just some friends. It's just a sports bar. It's not a big deal. I'm just kind of lingering here. Maybe you're lingering on your computer and you're just saying, oh, well, let me just kind of surf the web. Maybe just see what I can find out here. Maybe you're lingering downtown late at night. You're just saying, well, maybe I can. Maybe you're lingering at that party beyond the time that you plan to be there and see in the wild there an animal that that wanders an animal that lingers that leaves the pack is the first one that the lion kills it's the one that the lion chases down and destroys and so what we see here is that wandering away wandering away from the pack is the first thing that leads to sexual compromise the unintentional path but look at what happens next verse 9 it says in the twilight in the evening at the time of night and darkness so when was he specifically sauntering around he was sauntering around at the end of the day I was thinking about this and praying about this. And, you know, this guy probably worked all day out in the sun. You know, he's probably a manual laborer. is out there in the sun and he was sweating and he's covered in dust and he's covered in sweat. He's tired. He's hungry. Hasn't had a good meal. Doesn't have, you know, uh, he's not rested. And, and he's just tired. You ever had a long day and just been exhausted? And at the end of that long day, all you want to do is kind of plop your butt down in a comfortable chair, get a cold drink, and watch some television. You ever been there before? I just want to veg out. I just want to relax. I just want to chill out, right? I'm tired. I'm wiped out. I'm beaten. I'm beat up. And now it's in that moment at the end of the day. Notice it wasn't at the beginning of the day. It wasn't when he first woke up. It wasn't around lunchtime. His temptation came when he was tired, when he was worn out, when he had worked all day. And in that moment, as he's wandering around on his unintentional path, step two finds its place. It's what I call the guard down moment. The guard down moment. And this is one of the most dangerous moments in our psychological processing when we desire holiness. If you're a follower of Jesus and you long to be holy, what you'll find is if you find yourself on that unintentional path, the next step is the guard down moment where you're now at this place where you're tired, where you've worn out. This is one of the trickiest things. I just wrote a paper and my brain is mush and I just want to chill out. I just finished a big project and I'm just tired and I want to relax. I'm in a moment where my guard 
is down. If you know the story of Elijah, God uses him in a powerful way to take on 400 false prophets. He calls down fire from heaven. And after he sees one of the greatest miracles in the entire Bible, he then finds himself exhausted and tired and worn out. And he gets threatened by the queen, Jezebel, that he's going to be killed for following God. And in that moment, he panics, he becomes afraid, and he runs away. Hear this great, amazing man of God in a moment's time is transferred from a mighty warrior to a to a fearful young you know fearful slave and afraid bound by his fear what happened the guard down moment caught him you ever had a guard down moment a moment where you were just wiped out it's in these moments where temptation can sneak in look what happens next in this passage verse 10 and behold the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute Wily of heart. I love that. It makes me think of the coyote. You know, he's wily. wily it, it means cunning. All right. It means cunning, cunning of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, at every corner, she lies to wait. Look what happens in verse 16. She seizes him and kisses him. She seizes him and kisses him. Whoa, whoa. This got electric. What just happened here? Fireworks are going off. I mean, right? This guy is distracted. His guard is down. He's not focused on anything. And in this moment, boom, she shows up and he was not ready for step three. Step three is the unexpected rush. The unexpected rush. Out of nowhere, boom, here comes this rush that all of a sudden I'm feeling things I haven't felt before. It's when you're sitting at your computer late at night and you've already kind of been wandering and you've already had a guard down moment and now all of a sudden something pops up that, whoa, I didn't expect to see that or I'm reading the news and then boom or, or I'm looking through some type of, you know, maybe a Google search for this or that and all of a sudden, boom, and then all of a sudden this release of endorphins fills your body, this unexpected rush. She runs up and she kisses him. And now he's feeling tingly all over. This is the moment where your eyes connect with a girl across the room. And all of a sudden you feel this unexpected rush or with a guy across the room. And this is for the lady here. Maybe you've been single for a long time and you're listening to this talk right now. And you're thinking, gosh, I haven't felt that rush in so long. And you start to look for that unexpected rush. Or maybe it's the man here that you've been married 10, 15, 20 years. And things have gotten mundane in your relationship with your wife. And all of a sudden someone else comes along and they start smiling at you. And there's this unexpected rush. It's in this rush that temptation now takes its next step. So you've already been sauntering around. You've already had the guard down moment. And now there's this unexpected rush, this rush of temptation, this rush of emotion. Look what happens next. Verse 13. It says this, it says, and with a bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices today and I have paid my vows. What, that's a strange thing for her to say. Of all the things you think a temptress is going to say when she walks up to you, that's about the last thing you think she's going to say, right? Hey, I paid my vows. I've offered sacrifices. Now, theologians and scholars have debated what exactly does this mean? Was this woman you know, referring to some type of pagan cult ritual that she had paid vows or was she pursuing the Hebrew traditions and trying to do the things that are outlined in the Old Testament to pay her vows and everything else? And we're not exactly sure, but either way, it's interesting to me that she would say this as the first thing because it seems to me that a woman who pays her vows and offers sacrifices is apparently concerned with religion, right? She's concerned with faith. And so it's interesting that this woman, the first thing she would say is describe her religious practices to this guy. She's about to tempt him into sexual sin. And the first thing she does is outline how religious she's been. 
See, most of us, most of us won't respond to the unexpected rush unless you can find the fourth step to sexual temptation, the loophole for your conscience. The loophole for your conscience. And this is where things get dangerous. Stay with me today. This is where things get dangerous because now you find the loophole for your conscience. You know, who was the producer that put Britney Spears all the way back in the day in her early stuff in a Catholic schoolgirl uniform in her music video? I know you've seen it. Who's, who's, who came up with that? Who came up with that idea? What is that? It's the loophole for your conscience. It's packaging something that's not following Christ in a package that seems justifiable, that seems un, you know, like it's not dangerous. It's the poison in a fruit drink health bottle. It's the poison in a bottle that looks okay to drink. The loophole for your conscience is the guy that says, oh, you know, I'm spending so much time with her because she's, she really needs someone to talk to. So I should probably go to her house late at night alone and have a conversation with her. I, I'm not thinking about anything sexually. I just, I just want to be there for her. I want to support her. Isn't that the Christian thing to do? Well, there's the loophole for your conscience. Or, boy, I've got so much work to do. I've got to get going on that project. Maybe I should just jump on my computer at 2 in the morning when I can't sleep. You know, I should just really get to work on that project. And, and I, not, not that I'm going to give in to anything, but, but I'm just going to, I'm going to do some work on my project now. And let me just get ahead. Oh, wait a minute. And all, now that you find yourself sitting there, tired, all burned out, long day, and the loophole for your conscience gives you the go to do, oh, I just got to find something on Google Images. And let me just search through and oh, I didn't realize that that would come up as well. The loophole for your conscience. Let me just flip the TV channels again. Oh, I didn't realize that we had that pay-per-view station. And oh, I can't. The loophole for your conscience is how you get yourself in the position. And that's exactly what he's dealing with right now. The loophole for his conscience. Look what happens next. Verse 15. You stand with me. Here we go. We're more than halfway. Verse 15. So now she says this. I've offered sacrifice. So now I have come to meet you. To seek you eagerly, I have found you. So this woman runs up to him. She kisses him. She talks about how religious she is. And then she says, I've been looking for you. So he's already walked down the unintentional path, wandering around. He's already had his guard down because he's wiped out and he's exhausted. He's already experienced the unexpected rush of that emotional experience. He's already entertained the loophole for his conscience. And now she says, I want you. And he starts to think, you, you want me? Maybe you're here today and, you know, your husband doesn't want you. Your ex-girlfriend doesn't want you. People around you that you've pursued don't want you. And now there's someone that wants you. And here's the fifth step into sexual temptation and compromise. The want to be wanted. Now, this is a natural thing. Everybody wants to be wanted, right? Everybody wants to be wanted. But here we see the door getting cracked open and the want to be wanted starting to draw us in. Well, this person seems to, these, they accept me. He seems to love me in a different way. She, and all of a sudden now the compromise kicks in and sexual temptation has an opportunity to get roots inside you because this individual or opportunity is making you feel wanted. And so you're drawn in verse 16. She says this, I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. Here comes the temptation. 
You've walked all this way, and now there's this opportunity. Colored linens, a couch, these were in that day clear indications that this person had some cash, that they were loaded. So in our day, it would be like saying, let me show you my, my yacht, or why don't you swing by my house in the Hamptons and we can talk there. It was, a, a, you know, it was a display of her wealth. I've got linens. I mean, he's thinking, I know this sounds crazy to us, but people didn't have couches back then in the Middle East. It wasn't something that was normal. And so this guy's like, you got a couch? Like, that sounds awesome. Like, wow, this person seems to have a whole lot going on. And now we see her saying, let us take our fill of love until morning. Look at me for a second. She's saying to him, baby, this is going to take all night. What's going on here? Hold on. Hold on, because here's your moment of danger. And so many of us, look at me today, have fallen into this trap, whether it be in sexuality or other temptations. But as we deal with sexuality right now, So many of us have fallen into this trap. This is going to take all night. Let me just give you a reality check, okay? I don't want to be crass here, but let me just give you a reality check. In reality, he's going to go there and his sweaty body is going to get stuck on that cinnamon and it's going to start all getting up on his sweat and mixing him with his dirt. In reality, the aloe that she's put on her couch is going to cause an allergic reaction and start to cause some itching under his armpit. And he's going to have an itchy armpit with sweaty body stuck with cinnamon. In reality, he's going to try to kiss her and he's going to knock over one of her candles and it's going to cause a big mess. In reality, he's not going to take eight hours to be making love to this woman. It ain't going to take that long. I said, it ain't going to take that long. And so what we're seeing here is another step. Somebody say, amen. It ain't. It's just not. It's just not. Don't be embarrassed. Don't even look around right now. It ain't going to take that long. So we see another step and this is a deadly step. Look at me today. We see step six out of seven On the road to temptation, it's the step of unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations. It's one of the greatest lies that anyone that falls into temptation can can believe. It's the lie that it's going to be so worth it. It's going to be so worth it. And anyone that's chased down sexual temptation knows the reality that it seemed so worth it, but at the other end, it wasn't worth it. The scripture says that the, that the, that the temptation of sexuality outside of God's boundaries seems like honey, and at first it tastes like honey, but in the end, it's as bitter as wormwood. It's bitter. It's disgusting. It becomes gravel in your mouth. See, in the real world, let me just be honest with you now, in the real world of armpit hair, and body odor and bad breath, sexual temptation needs to airbrush itself and get rid of all the wrinkles and all the creases and all the smells and all the funk because real life is messy and sexual temptation has to look unrealistically appealing. And so unrealistic expectations woo us in on the computer and unrealistic expectations woo us in with that compromise. And now you find yourself engaging something that you never wanted to engage. Verse 19, we see the last step in his journey to sexual compromise. Look at it with me in verse 19. She says this to him, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him at full moon. He will come home. So we've seen the unintentional path. He was wandering around and some of us are already tripped up because you're not intentional about staying on God's path. We saw the guard down moment and some of us aren't aware of the fact that there are certain times where you'll be tempted more than other times and you must be 
be prepared for those. We've seen the unexpected rush, and there will be moments where you can't avoid the unexpected rush, where out of nowhere you begin to feel things and sense things that aren't what you want to be doing with your life. And then we saw the loophole for his conscience and how he started to entertain. Well, she seems like a good girl. She seems like a religious girl. It seems like it isn't that big of a deal. And then this want to be wanted as she appealed to his desire to be wanted. And then the unrealistic expectations. And now on top of all that, she says, listen, my husband isn't going to be here. You can get in and you can get out and no one will know. And it will not affect your life at all after that. Number seven, an easy exit. No one will know. No one will see. You're not hurting anybody. You're not damaging anyone. We can do this and you can go back to your normal life and nothing needs to change. That lie is enough to convince him that he should go for it. Now remember, Solomon called him the simple. It wasn't that he was a fool. It wasn't that he was in direct rebellion to God's plan. It was that he was simple, that he wasn't keenly aware of the process that we just outlined, of the process of sexual temptation. He didn't see it. He didn't realize it. And so as it was happening to him, he was ignorant to what was happening. And look what happens in verse 21 to 23. This is so crucial for you and I to see today. Verse 21, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once. Somebody say, all at once. Go ahead, say it out loud with me. Have a little fun. All at once. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or a stag is is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. A bird, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. He does not know that it will cost him his life. He's entertained sexual temptation. Now he He's abandoned wisdom. And the scripture uses three different animal analogies to describe what's happening to this guy. And these are a little bit vague for us because we're not really used to trapping birds or shooting deer or killing ox. So it's a little bit vague. But for the people that read this originally, these were vivid demonstrations of what's happening. Remember the word Proverbs means comparison. And he's comparing the one that compromises sexually to an ox that just got slaughtered. Now, everybody that read this had probably slaughtered an ox. How many of us today have slaughtered an ox this week? Not too many of us, right? And so what he's describing, he's describing this muscular, powerful animal, an animal that has incredible power and potential, and yet a person can lead that animal unaware into an area where they prepare to kill it. And now here's how they would kill an ox. What they would do is they would take an incredibly sharp knife and they would slit the the throat of the ox right under the jugular vein. It would sever the ox's air tube. It would cut his esophagus and his large, the large neck veins that are in his neck. And in a matter of seconds, that ox would begin to gush blood, fall to the ground. And in a pool of blood, he would be dead in just a moment's time. And so what he's describing here is he's saying that you, when you follow this path, though everything looks wonderful, are just as ignorant as this stupid ox that wanders along and says, oh, okay, you want me to go this way? Boom, he cuts his throat and he begins to bleed out and die. He then compares it to a stag who is trapped in a trap that in a moment he steps in the trap and before he knows it, he has an arrow piercing through his liver and he's dying or a bird that rushes into a net and before he knows it, it's caught up. So in other words, stupid animals have no idea that they're about to die 
They feel good. They think everything is good. Everything seems good, but it wasn't good. And the declaration of wisdom for me and for you today is this stark warning that God has created a specific plan for sexuality, that things feel good and seem good outside of that plan, but don't be a stupid animal. Don't be as stupid as them. Don't be deceived. Don't be blinded. Sexual sin will cost you. Sexual sin will cost you your joy. No longer do you have this vivacious joy for God. Sexual sin will cost you your energy. It will sap you of your vibrant life. It will take that from you. It will cost you your confidence. No longer will you pray the same. No longer will you move in God's will the same way. Sexual sin will cost you your honor. It will rob you of your most important relationships. It will drain people's respect for you. Sexual sin can compromise your calling. Sexual sin will rob you of your wealth. Sexual sin can destroy your marriage. And the greatest warning in Proverbs and all of Scripture is that sexual sin can cost you your soul. Again and again and again, we're presented with these warnings that say, this is God's path. I know you feel differently. I know it comes naturally to do something differently, but God has outlined a specific way of sexuality between a man and a woman in a covenant called marriage. And when you go beyond those bounds, when you go outside of those things in any which way or any direction, be warned, friend, be warned that you're on a path that will cost you your life. And again and again and again, we are warned A great warning that those who are sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. Be warned. Don't go down there. Don't look for the unexpected rush. Don't use the loophole for your conscience. Don't go down that road. It's interesting to me that Solomon writes this. Because here's Solomon, he had 700 wives, 300 concubines. He was sleeping with all different women. Solomon grew up in an area where, in a, in a, in a, in a house that was defined by sexual sin. His dad had committed adultery and slept with his mom, and they eventually had him after they were married. And so he was born into sin. He watched one of his brothers rape one of his. He was aware of that happening at his time. And then another brother killed the brother that raped their sister, and then that. That brother was hunted down and killed by the general. You can read the story in the Old Testament, but what we see is all the carnage and all the wreckage and all the cost of sexual sin. And again and again and again, Solomon sees this. And his advice to his sons, after having all these wives and after seeing all this, he looks at it all and he goes, this doesn't work. This thing is broken. Let me give you some advice. Proverbs 5, he says this. He says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. I told you the scripture isn't boring. Be intoxicated always with her love. Be intoxicated always with her love. Don't miss this today. If there's anything you miss uh, through all that I've said, don't miss this. What Proverbs is declaring and what is crucial for you and I to understand is that wisdom tells us that you get to choose what intoxicates you. You say, no, Justin, I'm just attracted to this. I'm just attracted to that. Well, in the spirit, you get to choose and say, you know what? I'm going to choose to be attracted to my wife. I'm going to choose to be committed to my husband. And I am going to believe that this is the best plan for me. See, in other words, wisdom says if you take that river of sexual passion and you spread it out wide, it becomes a swamp 
A wide river is just a nasty swamp that gets filled with all types of disgusting things. But if you dig it down deep and keep it focused, it becomes a fresh spring of water. The greatest joy, the greatest pleasure, the greatest intimacy is between that one person, that married couple. So do it God's way. Well, we're not married yet, but then do it God's way. Well, I don't feel that way myself. Well, do it God's way. Today is a challenge to believe, if you're here and you're married, that you commit your eyes only to that one. Today is a challenge, if you're single, that you find that greatest pleasure in God, both married and single. Find that first joy in God, and then you save yourself for a future spouse, or you save yourself for your current spouse if you're married now. And you hone it in, and you say, well, everything in me doesn't feel that that's, the, that's best. Everything in me, that's crazy. Culture doesn't say that. The world doesn't say that. My emotions don't say that. And yet God declares it, and he declares it, look at me today, for your good. For your good. He declares it for your good. Is God your satisfaction today? Is God your satisfaction today? I want to challenge you this morning, right here, right now, to choose God as your satisfaction. Maybe you've been deceived on this road of sexual temptation so many times. Maybe you've been drinking from that poisonous bottle, not even realizing that it's going to kill you. And you can see the process that we just outlined today. You can see the unexpected rush. You can see the loophole for your conscience. You can see the wandering. You can see the guard down moment. You can see all these different aspects of your journey. You can see that deep want to be wanted compelling you to compromise. What is it for you that seems to be drawing you in? I want to urge you today. I want to challenge you today. I want to give you the warning of wisdom that poison often comes in an attractive bottle. Don't drink that. Don't drink that. Don't be deceived. Again and again and again, the scripture describes that sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. And yet we end this talk today with a better word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul gives us the great transformation that occurs through the gospel. And he tells us that everything can change. Everything can change for the believer in Christ. And he describes in this passage, you can read it on your own in 1 Corinthians 6, that those that practice sexual sin, that those, and we've outlined that, in other, I know I haven't covered all the nuances of this today, we can't. We're just taking a, a little chunk from what wisdom says in Proverbs. But it, he describes again and again that those who practice sexual sin can't inherit God's kingdom. And then he says this about you. I want you to hear this today as your word. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Look at those words again. And such were some of you, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. I don't know where you've been, I don't know the road that you've walked. But I can tell you that if you're human, if you're like me, it was not the road of sexual purity. It was the road of compromise, the one that came easy, the one that I wandered down without even knowing it. And maybe that's your experience, or maybe you have known it, and still you've been deceived, and still you've walked away. And yet God declares something specific about you. He says, that person isn't who you, this is for somebody today, isn't who you are anymore. It's who you were. 
And in Christ, as you put on the identity that he gives you through forgiveness, through his love, through his adoption, through his care, you find, I don't need to do that anymore because I have a new identity. Do you change overnight? Not always. Is it a battle? Almost always. But when you say, that's who I was, but I've been washed, what it means to be, what's it mean to be washed? It means that all your sins are forgiven, that you're cleansed. It says you were sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means set apart, set apart from the old way and put into a new way. And what does it mean to be justified? It means that the judge of all creation has declared over you that you are guilt-free because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. Jesus dying on the cross became your sacrifice, became your substitute. And it's in that sacrifice that we find a new identity that empowers us by grace to break the cycle of sexual temptation. So what does wisdom say to you today? It says, don't be simple. Don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. Embrace the truth of God's wisdom today. We want to pray for you. We're going to sing in just a minute. But we want to pray for you this morning that if this is a battle in your life, we want to see God bring deliverance. I think for the vast majority of us, this applies in one way or another. And so if you're here today, I want you, as we just take this time to respond in song, I want you just encourage you, let God do a work in your heart today. Let's bring freedom and healing to the broken places today in Jesus' name. Would you pray with me as we close? God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for this uncovering of wisdom. I thank you for the application of wisdom to the area of sexuality. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would breathe upon each one of us right now, that these truths would begin to come alive, that we would see right now in the Spirit where we've been getting tricked, whether it be the unexpected rush or whether it be the want to be wanted or whether it be the loophole for our conscience or the guard down moment or all these different steps along the way. I pray that you show us where we've been getting fooled. And maybe we've been getting fooled in all seven of them, but God, I pray that right now that you bring wisdom that we would not be so easily deceived. And I pray that, Jesus, right now, that you would become the satisfaction of our hearts. That, God, that we would bless the Lord, that we would honor you, that we would look to you as our source and as our life. Thank you for these words of wisdom from the Proverbs. We open our hearts to you now. In Jesus' name. If God is using this ministry in your life, we would love to hear from you. Email us at mystory@ourcitychurch.org. For more information about the church, visit www.ourcitychurch.org.